As we gather at the sidewalk today uh, to celebrate baptism, I want you to think about those of you who have been baptized. I want you to think about that day. I want you to think about that time. Maybe you were young, maybe you were old, maybe it had been a while. But I want you to remember it. And I remember my baptism. I got born again when I was five. I was on my grandma's porch and my sister had come back from church camp and she said she had gotten saved. I'm like, what's that mean? She told me and she explained the gospel to me in a very impressive way for an eight-year-old. And she's like, you know, anybody that wants to be saved can be saved. I'm like, well, I want to be saved. And I prayed on the front porch there. And that was when I was five. I didn't get baptized until I was 22, 23. <clears throat> I don't know why. I don't have any reason why. I just, it just never came up. Um, and then we were, my wife and I had been married a little while, and we were going to Memorial Baptist Church. <clears throat> and I remember sitting, my wife didn't come to church that Sunday morning because she was a pagan. She's probably hung over or something, knowing her. She was not hung over. Um, went to the 8 a.m. service, the Frozen Chosen, right? And man, I just really felt compelled to go forward, which that's just not something that I'd ever done before, go forward. And I told the pastor there, I'm like, I need to be baptized. I've never been baptized. And we set that up. And then actually my wife and I got baptized together. She had never been baptized. And uh, I'm telling this story for a reason, We we got baptized at the 8 a.m. service. And when you're with the Frozen Chosen, you do what the Frozen Chosen say. Actually, we couldn't, our work schedules wouldn't let us. They usually did them on Sunday evenings. We couldn't come on Sunday evenings. So they orchestrated this thing, kind of hurry up. And I think it was a week or two later, <clears throat> we got baptized at the 8 a.m. service at Memorial Baptist Church. And I'm just going to be real honest with you. It was not very exciting. We got there, and we were getting ready. We were in the back room. The pastor, whom I love and treasure, he was a discipler of mine. He poured himself into me, but he was always late. Well, you can't be late at the 8 a.m. service when you're pushing a baptism service in front of everything else. So he walks in. He's like, you understand that this is a symbol that means that you've been born again and that this is an association with you and Christ when he's in burial, but death, burial, resurrection. You understand that, right? Okay, let's go do this. So they put these robes on us, which was funny. And we walked through the water. He dunked me. Came out and dunked my wife. Came out. And we went and sat in the crowd. And I I really remember thinking, is that it? Is that it? But it took. I remember very vividly God starting to do impressive things in my heart and my mind and my life after I was obedient to the command of baptism. My life was dramatically changed. You say, well, maybe you were born again when you were, when you were baptized. And I was born again when I was five. I know it. The Spirit of God testified to me throughout my life that He was there and He was instructing me and teaching me. I wasn't always obedient. But I'm telling you what, there was a difference in my life after I was baptized. It didn't feel like much. 
to get dunked in front of the frozen chosen and go sit in the crowd. But something happened. And I believe that something was I was obedient to the first command of my salvation. And we'll talk about that today. And what we're going to look at is the baptism of Jesus. And we're going to talk about how that differs from our baptism. We're going to talk about how that differs from the baptism of John that we talked about last week. And then we're going to put that in light of what we're doing today. And by the way, pool's open. We ain't going to shut you out. We'd like to talk to you before you get in. But we know Orlando's getting baptized. There's still time. He said, I didn't bring any clothes. I don't care. You can get wet. So we're going to do what we did last week, and we're going to read Matthew chapter 3, 1 through 17. And today we're, we're only going to cover 13 through 17. <clears throat> but again, I want it to be in the context of the chapter and what we talked about last week as well. So if you would please stand in the presence of Almighty God as we hear His Word spoken through His written Word. Matthew chapter 3, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Let's pray. God, we trust your word. We trust your spirit, and now we ask that you take these majestic, powerful words and your majestic, powerful spirit and apply them to our lives. God, I pray that you would convict sinners, save souls, and sanctify your people through the reading, proclamation, and study of your word. We ask for your help, and we trust that you'll help us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to try to be shorter this week than I normally am. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, we'll be done by about 5 till or something. So we're going to start with verse 13, like I said. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. So we spent last week looking at the beginning of the preaching and baptizing work of John the baptizer. 
or as the word can be translated, John the Immerser. We'll talk more about that later. He had shown up in the wilderness outside of Judea telling people to repent because the kingdom of heaven was at hand. So remember this, John was preparing people for the coming king. He was, we saw last week, the king's herald. He was making the king's path straight before him, making way for the one who was to come. And again, what is the point of Matthew's gospel? How is Matthew portraying Jesus to the Jews that he's writing to? He is the king. And since we're not Jews, he's portraying him as the king to us as well. And so here he's making the path straight before the king, and he did that with a message of repentance and baptism. And we saw that everyone from all over was coming out and being baptized, even the Pharisees and Sadducees, whom John called out as needing to bring forth fruit that was worthy of repentance. John said he was pointing to the one who would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And what was going on in John's time there with all all these people coming out was quite a spectacle. And if nothing else, the word was getting out far and wide. And now we see today's passage. And here comes the king. Now, you would expect fanfare. You would expect trumpets. You would expect an entourage and an attache and all those other things. You would expect this big, giant, powerful pronouncement. But what we have is this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. No trumpets, no majestic choirs, no armies. Jesus come from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. Now remember, we haven't seen anything from Jesus since He and His family had come back from Egypt and settled in Nazareth 28 years before this. And now, this Nazarene, and to be a Nazarene was to be despised and looked down upon, this Nazarene comes out, He looks like everybody else who's coming out to John the Baptist. He's coming out to see the show, but not really. Jesus did not come to see the show kind of like the Pharisees and Sadducees had. And you're going to see all through the book of Matthew this juxtaposition of Jesus who is true righteousness and the Pharisees and Sadducees who are an external and a false righteousness. So they come out and they've got their people blowing trumpets before them and telling who they are and everybody's ooh and an ah. And these are the people of standing. Jesus comes and it's like, it's a Nazarene. I've seen him in Nazareth. He's from Nazareth. So Jesus isn't coming out to the show. He really is the show. They just don't know that yet. And Jesus came for a specific purpose. Look at all these twos. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by Him. Jesus came for a specific purpose. It says that He came to be baptized by John. That's why He came. He left Nazareth with an intention of being baptized by John. Now, Most people think that John was baptizing just outside of Jerusalem. Some people say it's to the east. Some people say it's a little further north. Either way, Jesus had a lot of ground to walk to get to where John was baptizing. If he was outside of Jerusalem, it's like 60 miles or so. Either way, here comes Jesus. No entourage, no big band with him. 
and he's just walking up the road coming to be baptized. He's coming to John, to the Jordan, to be baptized. And it had to be baptism. It had to be the Jordan River, and it had to be by John. That was Jesus' purpose. There's a purpose statement here. Now, there's no prophecies associated with this, but God's plan was that Jesus was to be here at this time, in this place, to be baptized by this man. And again, it's important to note that nothing was happening in Jesus' life that would point to Him here. There's nothing happening in Jesus' life from before His birth to His birth, from obscurity in Nazareth to being publicly baptized by John. Nothing big going on. But... All of this was divinely orchestrated and laid out according to God's perfect plan. And that plan included Jesus being baptized by John. But John was not so sure. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? So Jesus shows up and presents himself for baptism, but John, who had already said that the one coming after him was greater than him, John is, to say the least, hesitant. Verse 14 starts with the words, John would have prevented him. And that's a continuous action. John would have kept on insisting no. But Jesus had a different plan. John would have said no, but why? Because John says, I need to be baptized by you. Remember, John said the one coming after him would baptize with the Holy Spirit with fire. And John wants that baptism. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. But he wanted the baptism that Jesus was bringing. And it wasn't a water baptism. It was with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John knew that what he was doing in preparing the way for the king, which was his cousin Jesus... John knew that he was only dunking people underwater as a sign that they were changing their minds about the kingdom that was coming. That's all he was doing. It was a visual sign for people to proclaim, I'm changing my mind and, and my actions. John was calling for repentance from dead works and from hopes in your heritage to a living hope in the God man who was coming to inaugurate this promised kingdom. And now John looks at the king of this kingdom and wants to not offer his services to him because John knew that not only was there a greater baptism coming from Jesus himself, but he also knew that Jesus didn't need to repent. Jesus didn't need to change his mind about the coming kingdom. Jesus was the coming king of the kingdom. And then I love the end of this verse, And do you come to me? John would have prevented him and knows that he needs baptized by Jesus. And then he asks, And do you come to me? I love the open honesty of John. Not an ounce of self-aggrandizement here. John's not pointing to the crowds or quoting baptism numbers and asking Jesus to pat him on the back. boy, cuz, you're doing good. No, John knows that compared to his king, compared to his holy cousin, he is nothing. The crowds, the popularity, the attention of men mean nothing and cannot add one ounce of worth to His ministry. And boy, we would be wise to follow that example. John's ministry was about preparing the way for Jesus. John's ministry was about to end. And do you come to me? I hope we can say the same thing. And surely Jesus understood this, right? 
Verse 15, But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. Now I'm going to ask you just to take a few seconds here, and I want you to look at this verse, and I want you to, don't say it, I want you to pick what you think the most important word is. Okay, don't say it. And don't go Sunday school Jesus on me. It's probably not Jesus, okay? This was my favorite part of preparation. Okay, let's move on. Now this is right down interesting. Jesus' answer to John, not wanting to baptize him, is not a full rebuff, nor is it a flat denial of what John says. Look at it. But, which that's an opposing or opposite conjunction. So John said he didn't think he should baptize Jesus, but... But Jesus answered him. So John says no, but Jesus says something different. He says the opposite. And what is the answer to John from Jesus? Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus doesn't just say, well, I know that's true. You're right, John. Nor did He say, why are you so pig-headed, John? Do what I'm telling you to. He says, in a way, you're right, but you don't know the full story. He pretty much concedes that that though John is not wrong, he's also not fully right either. Let it be so for now. Come on, John, let's do this right now. Why? For it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now that is a huge sentence. And it is loaded with implication. And if misinterpreted, it could really lead us down a bad path. So what do you think that means? Did Jesus need to do something to be righteous? Well, being very God of very God, He did not need to do anything to become righteous. We've already said that we know that He didn't need to repent of anything. Scripture is clear that Jesus never sinned, so there was nothing to repent of. He was the spotless, sinless Son of God. Jesus didn't need to do anything to make Him acceptable to God. So, why was this baptism fitting to fulfill all righteousness? I think the answer, and there are a lot of different thoughts here, lies in a different word than righteousness. If you picked righteousness, I'm afraid you're wrong. I think it lies in the word us. Who is the us referred to here? Now, at first, I thought it was Jesus and John. Let us do this. But I don't think that now. I'll tell you why. And I'm not trying to blow your mind with a truth bomb, okay? I'm not celebrity pastor this morning. This just really, really struck me. Who is the us? I think the us here refers to the crowds and Jesus. The crowds of those who would come to repent and prepare themselves for the coming kingdom. I mean, that makes sense for them, but what about Jesus? And that's exactly why I think the us is important. You see, Jesus is identifying Himself with the people. He spent the last 28 years of His life in literal obscurity in despised Nazareth. And now as He shows up to begin His earthly ministry, He doesn't thunder and set out to say, Hey, everybody, look at me. I'm God. I'm the King. I'm the Messiah. Instead, he comes to the very place where the commonest of folk are, to the tiny Jordan River, to be baptized by his bug-eating, camel-hair-wearing cousin, just like everybody else had. 
And this, this is the genius of God's strategy in the incarnation. God became a man. Oh, a holy and a righteous man for sure. But listen to me. God became a man. Isaiah would say he had no form or fashion about him that we should notice him. He was despised and rejected. And he shows up here and he's just like everybody else. Or at least he appears to be. God became a man because he wanted to let us know that there's hope for us. He wanted to communicate with us and show us what He's like. He had revealed Himself to the Jews way back during the Exodus when He came down in clouds and fire and thunder and how they react. It scared them to death. They were terrified. Look back at Exodus 19, 17 through 25. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bring Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And then just a little bit after that, after they received the Ten Commandments, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpets and the mountains smoking... Listen, mountains don't normally smoke. The people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. God had tried to speak to them before as God, and they couldn't bear it. So now here in Matthew, He shows up looking like you and me. Probably had better hair than me. That's not funny. It is funny. Watchman Nee tells a story of being at a retreat place and he's looking out at the birds and they're gathering on the back porch and as soon as he would approach them, even behind the door, they would fly off. And he said, I wonder how in the world I could communicate with these birds. And he said, I realized the only way that they wouldn't be afraid of me was if I became a bird. And dwelt with them. God became a man because He wanted to communicate with us. Listen, this is what I want you to hear. He wanted to associate with us. And here walks Jesus up the dusty roads. Woo! Not many of y'all get that one. And He just shows up. 
Usually when God showed up, things got scary. The Israelites were scared out of their wits. They thought they were going to die, and they were probably right. So they sent Moses to talk to God for them. But back in Matthew, we see God standing among the crowd of people, and they don't even know He's there. He's a despised Nazarene. But Jesus knows who He is, and in His Godness, He puts His humanness on full display. Not only blending in very naturally, but even being baptized like a common sinful human being, even though he had no sin. He didn't need to be baptized in order to be righteous, but he submitted himself to this act in order to associate with those who would, be, who would come to know him later. Listen to me. Jesus was one of us so that we could become like him. And he demonstrates his association here by having John baptize him. No thunder, no lightning, no fire, just flesh, bone, and water in the Jordan River. For thus it is fitting for us. You, me, Jesus, and us. And so then John consented. John obeyed his master. He may or may not have understood what Jesus said, but he consented and baptized Jesus. Now, can you imagine this moment? I've baptized a few folks in my time, and it's one of the greatest joys of my life. I've baptized three of my four children. And there's not much better in the world than that right there. But to baptize Jesus? (laughs) Can you imagine? I can't. And John doesn't have to imagine because he did it. John was there and he baptized the Son of God in the flesh. Wow. So what was it like? It gets a little freaky here, I guess. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. So John takes Jesus down into the water and then up again. He immersed him. Because he was John the Immerser. And then it says that Jesus immediately went up from the water, which implies that he had been down in the water. They didn't bring the water up to him. Sorry. And when Jesus came up out of the water, it says the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Now, we don't know for sure who all saw this. I don't think many people did. I definitely don't think everybody did. It doesn't seem to imply that. Again, there's no light show here. There's no fog machine. Now announcing, coming up out of the water, the King of Kings. That's not what's going on here. This is not about a great sign or wonder. The heavens were open to Him. And He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on Him. Did He need that sign? This is God, y'all. He had been one with the Holy Spirit and with the Father from eternity past. He didn't need a sign. Okay, God, it's working. Who I was worried. That's a long walk. But we know that John saw it. Not from our passage today, but from John chapter 1. The next day, he, talking about John, saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
This is he of whom I said after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. Woo. But for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, which is God, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So we know at least John saw it. I'm sure Jesus saw it. And we know that John saw it. I don't think anybody else there saw it. But we know that John did. Because God had told John, look for the one who the Holy Spirit descends upon and rests upon. That'll be the guy. And that's exactly what happened. I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So we know that John saw it at least. It was a sign for at least John. Again, Jesus didn't need a sign. But here in the beginning of His earthly ministry, God gives a sign so John would be assured of what he had known in his head before. Now, again, can you imagine being John here? I mean, he knew who Jesus was. I need to be baptized by you. But then this happens. That's him. I knew it, but now I know it. Can you imagine experiencing that? Orlando, sorry, heavens aren't going to open up today. Let me take you. It's just not going to happen. You say, how do you know that? Because this is Jesus, y'all. But there's one more thing before we finish the text from today. Wow. (laughs) And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. One of the... Very rare times in Scripture where we see all three members of the Trinity in one place together. The Father speaks something. The Spirit descends like a dove as the Son receives what's going on. Don't ever let somebody tell you that God isn't a Trinity. One God in three persons. One essence in three persons. So the heavens opened, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus, and in this a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And I want you to read that to yourself. I want you to breathe it in for a second or two. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. God said that. Now we know that the Father loves the Son. We've said in the past that God had existed from eternity past in perfect loving community within the Trinity. There's no doubt of this love. But here, at the outset of Jesus commencing the kingdom work He was sent to do, God audibly says that Jesus is His Son and that He is well pleased with Him. And this is before any work had been done, right? This is before discipling the disciples. This is before healing anybody. This is before teaching the Word. This is before the cross, before the resurrection. And God says, I am well pleased with my Son. And this is Him. Jesus will do God's will perfectly. But here, God voices His love for the Son for simply being the Son. I hope that gets you excited. Now, the question I would ask then, who heard this proclamation? Again, our text doesn't tell us. 
But there's no sign in the text that people went, Whoa! This is the Son of God. God just said it. There's no indication of that. And if you look at Mark and Luke, neither of them shed any light on who else heard it either. They both record it, but they don't say who heard it. But there's an occurrence in John 12 where God speaks to Jesus and others don't hear it. Now this is not the same event in John 12 that we're about to look at. This is a different time. But listen to this. Jesus says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Oh, so that's how far as we're going. I'll stop there. So there was another time when Jesus had God speak to him from heaven and says that nobody else heard it. They heard something. Sound like it thundered. Is it supposed to rain today? Weather app didn't say that. Nope, nope. An angel spoke to him. So they didn't understand. And I think that's exactly what happened at the baptism. That's my take. That you don't have to write that down in the annals of doctrine in history. I just don't think anybody else heard it. Sinai. Yeah, all right. It's, it sounds like Sinai, right? It thundered. Ooh, that's weird. That's freaky. I've said freaky three times now. I'll not say it again the rest of the message, okay? <laughs> and again, this is not the same instance, but on this occasion, God spoke and the people either thought it thundered or that an angel had spoken to Jesus, but they obviously didn't hear what God said. I don't see any indication that the crowd here in Matthew heard the voice of God, but Jesus did. And what a word it was. And how could Matthew record it? Because he talked to Jesus. He was a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus said, when I came up out of the water, God said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So literally, Matthew heard God say it, but he didn't hear God say it at that point. Jesus heard this word, and what a word it was. The Father loves the Son. Period. He is well pleased with the Son. And that is an incredibly wonderful and powerful pronouncement as we shall see now as we move to application. What does this baptism of Jesus mean for us today? Well, it turns out it means quite a bit. First though, it's important to remind ourselves of one thing. We said last week that John's baptism saved no one. It was a baptism for repentance and preparation for the coming kingdom. This is the baptism that Jesus partook of even though He didn't need to repent of anything. Now listen to me. When we baptize today or whenever we baptize, we are not commemorating John's or Jesus' baptism. We're not emulating them per se. We're not repenting looking forward to a different kingdom. Instead, our baptism is an outward sign of an inward change where that kingdom has already taken root. So Jesus' baptism, although pertinent to us, is not the same baptism that we partake of today. You are not Jesus. So His baptism is different than yours. But it's also similar. Stay with me. So what we want to focus on today, what His means for us, and how ours reminds us of Him, which is our application points. First is Jesus' association with us. The second is our association with Jesus. And the third is some final words about baptism. I heard a preacher say, if you don't preach expositorily, you start to say the same things over and over again. And he said a guy was uh, 
preaching the beginning chapter of Romans. And he said his outline was the depravity of man, the action of God, and some final notes about baptism. <laughs> but anyway. First, first application point, Jesus' association with us. We touched on this today in the passage and said that Jesus using the word us was significant. How so? Well, if Jesus in His earthly life and ministry was purposeful to associate with us as humans, what do you think that means? Well, we saw today that He did things that we do in order to be like us. He got baptized even though He didn't need to repent or prepare for the coming kingdom. But in order to be like us and to fulfill all righteousness like others were doing, He went into the water. His efforts to be like us make Him peculiar in the universe. And the Scriptures are clear in pointing that out. Since He became like us, He can sympathize with us. Jesus, the man, Christ Jesus, the God-man seated in the heavens, understands us in a way that nobody else can because He associated with us. Hebrews 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. He became like us so that He could sympathize with us. So that He could be a high priest who doesn't say, Oh, they sinned again. i got to offer up another sacrifice. But so that He could say, I understand. And your sin is not okay. But I was tempted that way too, yet without sin. And I understand. And I've taken care of it. Look at this. Hebrews 5, 7 through 9. In the days of His flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death, and He was heard because of His reverence. Although He was a son, He learned obedience through what He suffered, and being made perfect, He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. He learned obedience through what He suffered. He associated with us. He learned obedience through being tempted in every way that we are. You say, well... Are you saying Jesus was tempted? Absolutely. That's next week. And the rest of His life on earth. You say, well, Jesus didn't live in 2018. Nope, He didn't. But He had a human nature just like ours that was like us. Was Jesus tempted to sin? We'll talk about that next week. Was He able to sin? We'll talk about that next week. But you say, He can't associate with me. And I say, yes, He can. Yes, He can. Well, Jesus didn't have the family strife that I have. He was tempted in every way that you are. Jesus never dealt with drugs. Jesus was tempted in every way that you were. Well, Jesus didn't have my boss. Jesus was tempted in every way that you were. Keep that in mind because He associated with us. So that's Jesus' association with us. Point two. Our association with Jesus. Now listen to this. He associated with us, so now we can associate with Him. Since He became like us, we can now become like Him. And listen, the very core of the Christian life is that we become united with Jesus Christ when we become believers. When we are born again, we are united with Christ. 
He was associated with us so that we can be associated with Him. Now, Romans 6, 3 through 11. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin." Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now that is a dry passage of Scripture. There's not a drop of water in this baptism here. This is not about water baptism. Because let me tell you what happened to you when you were born again. You were baptized into Christ. You were immersed into the person of Christ. And you became one with Him. And you can associate with Him now. Woo! You can associate with Him now. So when sin comes knocking, hey, wait a second, I don't have to answer the door. You have been evicted. Now you can let them in if you want to. Or you can consider yourself dead to sin just like Jesus is dead to sin. Let me ask you this question. Is Jesus tempted to sin now? No. He died to sin once for all. And if He did, so did I. See, it's important that Jesus could associate with us because now we can be associated with Him. In Him. Through Him. Not a drop of water in these passages from Romans. But it's talking about our being immersed into Christ. We are in union with Jesus. So that means that the proclamation of God over Jesus... Now listen to me. The proclamation of God over Jesus coming out of that water when He said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased is the same proclamation that God the Father has for all of His sons and daughters. Well, God couldn't be happy with me. I've had a terrible week. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It's not about your performance. It is about the obedience of Jesus Christ and being associated with Him. Your salvation is about the perfect life work of Jesus Christ. And listen to me, if you are a child of God this morning, the proclamation over you is this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Do you know that God is well pleased with you? With you! With me. Because of my association with Jesus. You say, is he well pleased with my sin? No. No. But there's no more wrath left for your sin. There's no more anger left in God the Father for your sin. He poured it out on his Son so that he wouldn't have to pour it out on you. And this morning, God pronounces over his children, This is my beloved Son. 
or daughter with whom I am well pleased. I'm telling you, we could shut down the mental hospitals and the therapy places if we could get people to understand this. God's not mad at you, Christian. He's not upset with you or disappointed with you. He is well pleased with you. Because you're in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now. You say, well, maybe God will like me in a year or two when I get better. Now. God is well pleased with His children now because He is well pleased with Jesus now. And because we are associated with Christ, since we are baptized into Him at our conversion, God the Father is well pleased with us. If you are in Christ, God is well pleased with you. You say, you've said that 20 times. I'd like to say it a thousand more to get you to understand it. To get me to understand it. You say, what if I'm not in Christ? Then His wrath abides on you. And the King is coming in His kingdom to pour out His wrath on the sons of disobedience. So I would beg you, if you're not in Christ this morning, flee from the wrath to come. If you are in your sins, you are headed to eternal damnation in a fiery hell where you will pay the penalty for your sins for eternity. That's awful hateful. It's not hateful. Sin is an affront to the holiness of God. Sin is your way of saying, I'll do it my way. I want what I want. I don't need you, God. And God will judge that. So flee from the wrath to come. Flee to Jesus. Run to Jesus and be immersed in Him. Be baptized into Him. Trust Him and His obedience instead of your efforts to save yourself. And then He can pronounce over you, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. So Jesus' association with us leads to our association with Him. And point three, baptism. Some final notes on baptism. You said, you may be thinking, well, you said that our baptism is not like John's baptism or Jesus' baptism. What is our baptism? Quickly. Just bullet points here. Today, baptism is for believers. People who have put their faith and their trust in the finished work of Christ. Okay? Acts 2.41. I'm just going to machine gun these off. So those who received His Word, Peter's Word, were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Acts 8.12. But when they believed Philip and he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Acts 10.47-48. Can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. These are immediate things after people believed. People believed, were saved, baptism. Baptism's not for babies because they couldn't have believed yet. We won't get into that debate today. If you want to talk to me about it, I'm more than glad to talk to you about it. But the scriptures condone, command believers' baptism, not unbelievers. Not anybody that hasn't believed yet. We believe in baptism by immersion because we see that in Scripture time and time again. We saw it today. John and Jesus were in the water. Jesus came up out of the water. 
The Ethiopian eunuch in Acts says, there's some water, what prevents me from being baptized? He didn't say, i got a cup of water, what prevents me from being baptized? He says, there's some water, let's get out and go down to it and be baptized. So immersion, the word literally means to immerse. We believe that baptism is the first step of obedience once you're a believer. Acts 2.38 And Peter said to them after they asked what to do, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.41 So those who received His word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. They didn't go through a class to see if they were candidates. They believed and they got baptized. 8.36, And as they were coming along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, here's some water, what prevents me from being baptized? Well, you got to go through the membership class first. No. And he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. It's the first step of obedience after you believe. I was five when I got saved. I was 22 when I got baptized. Was I obedient to God at all in the midst of that? Yeah, I was but I'd missed the first step. We believe it is a public proclamation and identification with Christ proclaiming to the world, I am a new creature. I want to tell everybody. I want to show everybody. So I'm going to get wet. I'm going to get immersed so that we can see that. It's an outward sign of the inward change. It shows the death, burial, and resurrection that we share with Jesus that we saw in Romans 6. That's what baptism is. Baptism does not save anyone. But it's a good sign. It's a good show that something inside has happened and you want to proclaim it to the world outwardly. Now let me ask you this question. We'll be done. No, I didn't get done early. Sorry. Maybe you're sitting here today and think, maybe I should be rebaptized. Let me tell you, if... If and when you should get rebaptized, you should get rebaptized if you weren't a believer when you were baptized. If you were just lying about your baptism, if you were little and you just wanted to get in the pond with everybody else, you should get rebaptized. Otherwise, you say, Well, I don't know if it took, I don't know if it was good enough, I don't know if it was right. If you believed in Jesus, and then got into the water to say, I want to be baptized because I'm a believer in Jesus, you don't need to get rebaptized. If you weren't a believer when you got baptized, whether it was when you were a baby or young or when you were 60, and you just did it because there's an outward sign of something that you wanted to at least fool people about, then you should get rebaptized. I remember, and I'll be done with this. I remember when we baptized John and Lily and some other people out at Alpine. The statement that day was, this needs to be where you plant your flag in the sand. And if you ask yourself, did I really believe? Was it really real? Look back to this day and say, I proclaimed it to the world that day. It is your first act of obedience. If you are a believer and you're not baptized, you are walking in disobedience. God is still well pleased with you. You're not going to hell because you didn't get wet. But I'm telling you, you won't. You will not see the favor, the blessing, and the encouragement of God in your life on a consistent basis because you haven't done the first thing He's asked you to do. And it is a glorious thing. It is a wonderful, beautiful, powerful thing. And it is life-changing. 
It does not save you, but it shows the world that you are saved and it gives you a place to plant your flag and say yes. And the heavens aren't going to open up and you're not going to hear the voice of God audibly proclaiming, but you know in your heart of hearts the proclamation over Jesus is the same proclamation that He makes as you come out of that water. This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. If you are a believer and you have not been baptized, let's take care of that. You say, not today. Okay, maybe not today. You can. Let's get it taken care of. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your perfect plan that includes baptism. God, we are glad that Jesus associated with us so that we can associate with him. And as we go out to celebrate this beautiful ordinance of baptism, encourage us, strengthen us. Help us to rally around Orlando and encourage him and whoever else may get in that water. And may it be a a place where he plants his flag, they plant their flag, and say, I told everybody that day that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus' obedience to fulfill all righteousness. Thank you for identifying us with him, immersing us in him. Now let's celebrate that through this time together. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to give you a benediction and then proceed out the door. Again, don't get on the side of the sidewalk where the pool is. You're going to get sopping wet. Stand up. Stand up. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said... Amen. Amen. All right, let's go outside and watch somebody get wet.